DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome in BYU Offensive Coordinator Aaron Roderick. Aaron, good morning. Good morning, guys. What's going on? Well, Aaron, we had you on to find out what you think about the Jazz. No, we didn't. Oh. But it seems like that's the only thing we're talking about right now because watched, they are. I watched last night. It was fun. It was fun, <laughs> man. In fact, I've been watching them a lot. It's well, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, they they are crushing it. No, we did have you on to talk BYU football, and uh, you are now the offensive coordinator. You've been the offensive coordinator before, uh, but now Jeff Grimes has moved on, so you are in charge of the Cougar offense. And there's so many questions. There's so many transitions to be made here. I guess uh, number one, what do you take from this past year and think we've got to hold on to X, whatever X is. And some of the personnel is changing. Obviously, the quarterback is. But this one thing we are going to hold on to, we have to make this part of our identity. It really works for us. Yeah, our identity was huge. We want to, we want to keep it. And that, that identity was that you know, we're, a physical, we're a physical team that can throw the ball down the field. And that's, that is the most important thing that we need to maintain. And uh, that's, that was a great first question, really, because that's all we've been talking about and it's funny, uh, several of our players, offensive linemen in particular, approached me as we were uh, trying to hire an offensive line coach and had a, several of those guys say, whatever you do, let's make sure that with this hire that we maintain that identity. It was important to them. They, they, the guys get it. Grimey did a good job of pounding that into their heads about we're a physical team, we're, we're reliable guys, and we can throw the ball down the field in time. And so... That's what that's what we want to maintain, and, and the way that we present that from week to week can change a little bit. But um, that, that 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 identity has to has to you know continue. So usually, uh, a particular coordinator on his side of the ball, he has a significant say in who's being hired to coach under him, basically. And there's some type of connection. What was the connection with this guy here, Funk, that you brought in to bring him aboard at BYU? Uh, so I didn't actually know him, which you're right, is rare. Most of the time, hires like this, you're hiring somebody you know at least a little bit. Um, I didn't actually know Coach Funk, but I had coached against him at three different schools. So he, he was the offensive line coach for Sonny Lubick at Colorado State, and we coached against them a couple times in my early days at Utah. And then he was Brady Hoke's O-line coach at San Diego State. So coached against him there a couple more times, and then also coached against him at Michigan when we when we uh, when I was at Utah. We played Michigan a couple times, and he was he was Brady Hoke's O line coach there as well. And so I just from coaching against him over the years and seeing his teams play, I was just always impressed with the physicality that they played with and the toughness that they showed. And of course, the respect I have for Sonny Lubick and Brady Hoke. I know those guys are. They're going to have good, good old line coaches, uh, and then just a bunch of recommendations about, about Coach Funk from from number of people that I knew from the profession uh, and that Kalani knew as well. There's just just too many to name. A lot of lot of people called about him and his behalf, and and then uh, spent a good oh shoot, it was probably three weeks getting to know him and just. Um, all the hours added up. I don't know how many hours added up of getting to know him and just felt really comfortable with him and his background that he'd be a good fit here. So you and Kalani obviously both coached at the U, so you had Kyle Whittingham saying the same things over and over, the same things he says to the media over and over. Position coaches have got to recruit, so it's good that you've seen 
his team's playing, you know how he coaches them up. But as far as a part of the country he can recruit in, contacts, his ability to recruit, what about that end of the equation? Because I, I can't imagine after working for Kyle that long that you ignored that part of the equation. Yeah, you're right. And he's, he's uh, such an experienced guy. He's recruited just about everywhere. Uh, he's a veteran coach. I mean, his, his, uh, his resume is pretty extensive. And uh, he's, he's very familiar with he's – from, he's from Colorado originally, but uh, Coach Funk has recruited – uh, very effectively in all over Texas. Um, obviously, he knows California really well in Arizona, you know, all the western states. And uh, in Texas, I think he has a chance to pick up where, you know, where, kind of where we left off with Grimey and Eric Mateos both having Texas uh, connections. So, um, but yeah, he's a good recruiter and um, has a, you know, a big part of recruiting too is just being able to say, I've coached these guys. Look at my look at all these players I coach. Look how many of these guys are in the NFL. He's got a long list of offensive linemen in the NFL or that have played in the NFL. And so I think that alone says a lot. You know that gives you credibility anywhere when you go when you go recruit a player. So from the fan and media perspective, spring ball takes on a whole nother level of interest when there is a quarterback competition, and you guys have that obviously. So we're going to yeah, be wondering too. who's <laughs> <laughs> okay this year, including you, you too. And yeah. so you've got uh, opportunity to work with these guys to figure out who it's going to be. And all of us are going to be looking at who's going to take the first snap. Now, I don't know necessarily that that's a big deal, but what is your plan of attack for the quarterback position going into spring ball? Well, it, first of all, it's going to be a challenge because it's hard to get enough reps. You know, for there's a finite number of plays in every practice, and so it, it, if you spread it around too much, then it's hard to find out anything about anyone. And so, but um, but I kind of have to do that because we've got some good players in the room. So we're going to have to. It's going to have to be a, a body of work that builds slowly. You know, over time, and so you know, people are going to want answers after the first practice, how they look today, or the fifth practice even. And it's, it's probably going to take a, a little bit of time to get each, have each guy build enough reps up with the first or second team offense um, where we can actually start, you know, maybe ranking them or making a decision. So early on there won't be, you know, much of a ranking. Um, I, I think that Jaron and Baylor have both played in games for us and both, both played well in games for us. So I would just – I would probably – you know, say the first few days, I would see those two guys probably getting the first crack at some things. But we have a uh, um, Jacob Conover and Soljay Mayava as well, who who are really good players and deserve an opportunity. So that's, it's going to take a little time to sort it out. But um, you know, I've been through these things before, and they usually you can usually tell in time like who who deserves to get the first shot at it. You know, and then. And then doing it in a game and sustaining that is, is the second part. But the first part's just going to be putting those guys out there and, and you know, and the order, the order that they go in will probably change from day to day and the situations we put them in will change from day to day. They won't always be out there with the same lineup or, you know, the, the drills change situationally each day. So one day might be a two-minute emphasis, another day might be a red zone emphasis. And just see how the guys react to those situations and then, like I said, it, over time you start 
getting enough uh, large enough body of work that you can start making some fair judgments. Aaron Roderick joined us, BYU offensive coordinator. So we've got one signing day, then we got a second signing day that's a little more on the ho hum side of things. But then the transfer portal it never ends. Our producer <laughs> Jake Hatch, aka yeah. Yock is always updating us on the transfer portal and who's in and who's out. How many scholarships have, and I know know this is kind of a Kalani-level decision too, and you you probably have some input, but how many scholarships are the Cougars holding back? There must be some kind of formula, kind of an idea, we need old two or four or whatever the number is. And what positions are you thinking, if we see somebody here, that's kind of what we're looking at, let's see if somebody pops up. What are you thinking? Well, I think we always keep one, or Kalani always keeps one or two spots open or at least tries to um the the transfer portal is and uh, a couple of obvious reasons one is just the honor code thing is not for everyone and so that that alone whittles down the pool a little bit and then uh our academics are pretty tough the grad school situation here is not not easy to get into grad school and so um we, it's not as simple for us as just looking at the portal and saying, "Oh, this guy's really good, and that guy's really good," and this, you know, we can't just do that. So we have to like actually know something about each one of those guys and know how how much of a chance do they have to get in here and and fit in here and all that stuff. That being said, like Tyson, no, everybody knows Tyson had a huge impact on our team two years ago. So anytime we have a chance at a guy like that, we're not going to pass up pass him up. And so we are actively uh you know watching the portal but i don't think you'll see you're not going to see like you know a great number of guys in and out every year with us as as maybe maybe it's not as easy as it can be at other places and um but it's it's a factor for sure and then the, the answer the other part of your question is we're sort of always looking for uh those difference maker guys that play positions that maybe um you know that Let's be honest that that aren't as easy for us to recruit. So, like we, you know, we we should never have a shortage of big offensive linemen here. We should never have a shortage of tight ends here. Um, you know, and then, but shoot, if you get a chance to find a corner that can play, that can get into school here, and or a, you know, a big time playmaker of some kind, then you got to take your shot. And so, we will always be aware of those guys. But I don't think it's going to be as big of a factor at BYU ever as it is at some places. So what did Conover do during this past season when he was on the team but didn't play that would allow him to compete for the starting job this season? Um, I'm glad you asked that. So he was not supposed to join us until January, like last month. Right. Um, But due to the pandemic, he came home from his mission early, and we we had a spot for him on the roster in fall camp. And so he joined us in the fall. He actually got there late. I mean, he, I think he got there a week into school had already started or maybe, uh, I can't even remember. It was late though. And, um, so it took a couple of minutes, or a couple of weeks getting acclimated. And then he, he just went over and started playing scout team quarterback. And he was, uh, playing against our defense every day. And trying he and trying to you know run the other team's offense and um, he just embraced the heck out of it. I mean he he played the role every week. He was literally trying to be the other team's guy, that that other team's quarterback, trying to 
run their offense and he's a he's a really good leader and took a lot of pride in it and running the scout team and uh every day i would every week i guess not every day every week i would get a comment from one of the defensive coaches about something good that he did over there or hey watch clip number 24 of team today this you got to see this throw he made or stuff like that it was so it was really cool to see him um but the, the positive was he was able to be in all of our quarterback meetings and traveled with the team for most of the games. So he learned the whole offense already and knows all, you know, knows everything that we're doing. And so now his starting point right now going into spring ball, he's way ahead of where he would have been had he just joined us in January. So the reason why I brought his name up from the start is he's, he's mentally at a point where he should be able to compete with those veteran guys and, um, had he had he just gotten here in January, I probably wouldn't be quite as uh, eager about saying that. But I I think he'll he's a good player and won a lot of games in high school, and I think he'll be able to compete well and make this thing interesting. Aaron Rod uh, Aaron Roderick, join us right here, BYU offensive coordinator. Uh, as you look at the schedule this year, you're playing three Pac-12 schools the first three weeks, and a lot of teams will you know, get ahead on the scouting for that first quarter of the season. But the Pac-12 played so little football, I'm wondering how much you expect that they basically are going to have two new recruiting classes to kind of discover and how much that's an X factor in prepping for them. Yeah, you're right. It's that's a strange deal because we have watched all those games already of those teams, and you know, in, in Arizona's case, it's a whole new staff. So we're watching them just really learning who their players are, and then the defensive scheme. We're watching Michigan film because the defensive coordinator came from Michigan. So we're learning we're learning the scheme from Michigan film, and we're learning the players from Arizona film. But there's not a lot to go on there. And then, you know, of course, the other Pac-12 teams as well just didn't play that many games. And so you can you, you judge, the, you judge what you can from it. And you also, in the back of your mind, you, you kind of know, like, I think, I think some of this, I don't want to, I can't speak for any Pac-12 teams, but I think some of those teams actually treated it a little bit like a like an exhibition season, like, hey, let's develop players, let's find out about these guys and and be ready for next year. You kind of get that feel as you watch some of the games. Um, it felt to me like some of the teams in the Pac-12 were subbing more than they normally would sub if the game was, if it was a, you know, a, a game where you're playing for a Pac-12, you know, your, your Pac-12 championship or whatever. It felt that way. I, mean, I can't say that for sure, but it seemed, sure seemed like all the teams I watched in the Pac-12 were playing a lot of different players and subbing and, and, and getting a lot of different combinations of players on the field. And um, I, I could be wrong about that, but it, it appeared that way. And so um, but there were, there's enough there. There's, en- there's enough good stuff to, to go by, and we'll, we'll have a good plan for those teams. And most of them will get a game or two on them next year as well. So other than Arizona, you get at least one or two games on these other guys. So so I want to ask you about Baylor Romney and Jaron Hall. Uh, first, speak about Hall as far as his health. Is he healthy? And then uh, listening to you, even though Romney was number two last year, that doesn't automatically mean he's number one this year. Is that accurate? Um, yeah. So first of all, about Jaron, he is healthy. Um, and he's been doing everything with the team. He's running full speed. Doing all the team workouts, he's throwing with the 
receivers and tight ends. Um, and and he's feeling good, and that's that's good. And he's decided not to play baseball this spring, which um, you know I, I always was very supportive of him playing baseball. I mean, I, I love baseball, um, but it did take a toll on him. It was it's uh, I think that is underestimated how much how taxing that was on his health and going back and forth and just the workouts with both teams and the practices and he would he would literally run from spring practice straight over to baseball and you're talking about six hour days seven hour days just a bit football and baseball not to mention his academics and stuff so um i think he's gonna benefit this year from focusing on one sport even though i think in the past baseball made him a better football player this is a good time for him to get healthy uh and then baylor yeah he was number two last year and there's no guarantees that that means he's number one, but Baylor's a good player. And I have not forgotten, and nobody's forgotten in our building that we've won some big games with him. And that he, you know, it's easy to overlook him because he's just a, kind of an unassuming guy, but um, nothing really rattles him. And this this situation won't rattle him either. He'll He's a steady guy, and he'll go out there and, and play well every day. And he's... he's um, a really competitive kid and he's an accurate thrower so he does have a great chance to be our QB but um the answer to your question though is no there's no guarantees um just because he was number two last year we're going to let everybody let everybody compete and um but Baylor did you know another overlooked thing was he did play well for us last year in the games he got in some you know a lot of times we were up and stuff but shoot he'd come in and we'd just keep rolling along and so We've got some good players to, to work with. It's going to be a really tough tough job for me. BYU offense coordinator Aaron Roderick joining us. Uh, always curious if there's someone outside the program who's going to parachute in right away and become an impact guy. People may not know his name now, but by game two, three, or four, they're absolutely going to know his name. And, of course, in the case of BYU, you have so many return missionaries, but also any recruits or transfers, somebody off the radar who's going to make an immediate impact. Well, uh Dallin Holker comes home from his mission in a couple months, and he had some big games. He played really well, and he played well in the big games. I mean, he played well against Wisconsin. He played well against Utah. Just he was not afraid of the moment. As a true freshman, showed a lot of ability to get him back. We're pretty deep at tight end, but. He's a he's a really good player and uh, and already so he would be one that would kind of be easy to forget about. He's been away for two years, and then uh, there's a kid named Chase Roberts that's a wide receiver from American Forks that has not played for us yet. So I don't want to put too high expectations on him. Uh, he's coming home shortly here too in a month or two, um, and uh, yeah, he hasn't played at all, and I don't know what kind of shape he's going to be in. But he was a guy that uh, was recruited by a lot of people, Pac-12 schools, and we were at the time when we got him, we felt really fortunate. Like, okay, this is it's the time when we got him. The program was a little down, and he was a big, big get. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know what his impact will be this season, but I know he's he's got a really bright future and a really, really high ceiling. He's a big, fast guy that, and like I said, was recruited by a lot of people, and so. Can't wait to see what happens with him in the future. Well, I don't know that I expect the same type of season as last year, this upcoming season, but something is terribly wrong if you don't win at least 10 games. (laughs) 
hey, man, I've been hearing that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well, uh, well played, Aaron. <laughs> All yeah. right, Aaron Roderick, BYU Offensive Coordinator. Aaron, we appreciate a few minutes in the offseason. Thanks for joining us, and we're all looking forward to spring ball. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. <laughs> He's been hearing that for a long time, PK. I, was, I think there were multiple layers of comedy there if you really dig into that. Uh, yes, I would agree with that 100%. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Might have been a subtle reference to his Utah days. <laughs> all sorts of uh, back, what was it, uh, I don't know, backroom conversations over the years about a lot of different things, a lot of different people. And <laughs> and you've been around as long as we have. You hear stuff, people tell you stuff. And that uh, it's part of the business, though. I think the good thing about Aaron Roderick is he has a full – realization of what this business is about and uh of of rolling with it and overcoming things because you know you're doing things that that should be rewarded but yet they're viewed differently and it's a stressful business and all this stuff high reward high pressure and i think the good thing about him is he understands all of that DJ and PK brought to you apart by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. Everything you missed in this show coming up next. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Have you showed Lisa this story? No. Will you put the headset on her and show her that story? <laughs> okay, now you be respectful while I'm gone, okay? Okay. Uh-huh. Hey, hey fellas. Yeah. Gordon is back. Hi, Gordon. Yeah, she's not here. I think she's on a walk or something. Now, wait a minute. Did you eat something? <laughs> I grabbed a snack. On the- you I didn't did go- even <laughs> go and look for it. I saw a couple of M&Ms, so I took them in my mouth, and then I went to the other side of the house to look for it. You did not. You just went to the kitchen <laughs> to grab a snack. It's okay, isn't it? Sure, they're waiting on air for me, but heck, I'm oh, hungry. Might as well, yeah, eat some oh, I got a snack. <laughs> Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, in the Zone Sports Network. Donovan, right hand drive at Brown. Shoves off, stops, pops, hits. Boom! Jazz 101, Boston 97. Bogdanovich gets an open three out of the timeout. I don't know how Boston let that happen. Donovan bursts out of the traffic. They're backpedaling. Donovan's attacking. Leaves behind for Ingles. Right side three. Got it! Man, that was special. Back up top to Donovan. They switch Tatum to him. Now they bring another defender. He fires the three. He had it! Oh, Donovan Mitchell! Don't do me like that! Wow! All right, time to get you up to speed on everything that happened. Obviously, the big story is the big game last night. The Jazz beat the Celtics, a 74-point second half. Can you win with defense? Well, they certainly stayed in the game with defense when they were only shooting 30% from three in the first half, and they still led 48-47 at the break, even though the Celtics were shooting 50% from beyond the arc. That boded well for the Jazz, and sure enough, all the numbers proved out. The Celtics didn't shoot it as well. The Jazz shot it better. As uh, you were talking about this yesterday, PK, you brought it up. Hey, the game's on TV. What do you think Donovan's going to do? He's pretty good, so he'll have a pretty good game. 
Conley's out, so the pressure is on not to slip up. He'll be focused on that. He clearly was in Indiana with a fast start there. And it's TNT, and he's not going to want to have a bad game, so Shaq can say, I told you so. And sure enough, I don't know which of those three things was most important, but at the end of the night, Donovan had 36 points and a good stat line. And not just the points, but he hit two big threes late in the game to make sure that Boston wasn't going to do anything dramatic at the end and steal the win. Well, I think Mitchell knows what's up, and he knows. He was, I was reading an ESPN story, and he was talking about how Royce O'Neal doesn't get any recognition because mm-hmm. they don't play on television, and he means national TV. I mean, every game, if you buy the package, and obviously locally they're on, we understand all that, but he was talking about nationally. So he knows full well when they are on national television and wanting to play well, a little bit of extra motivation, and certainly he did. He had a massive game. He had a superstar game. That's what you want out of superstars. If you're looking at, you know, we can talk about what a superstar is, but look at the box score, look at the game. I don't need to tell you what a superstar Mm -hmm. is. You just watch that, and that's what he did. He was a superstar. And defensively, I think that the idea of what they're doing defense is like when they played Denver they hit all those threes I don't necessarily know that the Jazz played bad defense because I think their defensive philosophy starts from inside so you don't want to give teams easy buckets because teams are going to hit at least a decent amount of perimeter shots what you don't want is for them to pile up 30 40 points Uh, basically at the rim. And so the Jazz do that almost just about every game. And then sometimes teams get hot, individuals get hot. Denver, they had individuals get hot that normally aren't that good. Jokic, of course, went nuts. And then you had Jalen Brown early. He's getting hot. He's looking really, really good. All right. So be it. Can you sustain it? You know, a couple weeks back was against the Knicks, right? Austin Rivers. What do you have, 25 in the first half? And then Zippo, you know, because he's not that good of a player. He was hot. Tip your hat to him. So I think the Jazz defense, the premise is there. We're not going to give you the easy stuff. And then if you should get hot, all right, we'll figure that out, and it'll become obvious, and then we'll make adjustments to try to pressure there so that doesn't happen. And then I, I think we saw that. Oh, Jalen Brown had a very good game, but what did he have? Uh, he had like 22 was it after the first quarter or something outrageous? He still finished with 33, but it's not like he was consistent throughout all four quarters of that game. No, it was more that he was hot early and then Tatum got yeah. going late. Uh, but they didn't have enough guys go with him. They only had three guys in double figures, whereas Mitchell and Ingles kind of offset them with big games. But the Jazz had five guys in double figures. Uh, I think underestimating all this because Mitchell was really good, obviously, and Ingles was really good, 24 points. 5 of 11 from 3. Joe got to the free throw line a lot. 10 free throws in a game, that's a lot of free throws. And he was 9 to 10. And so 24 points, 6 assists. But, you know, earlier this year, they would force lobs into Rudy when it wasn't open. And sometimes then Rudy, you know, for whatever reason, he's gripping and he's fumbling passes he ought to catch. And we see these 18 and 20 turnover games. And it's just way too many. And you look at what they've done lately. They had another game here, and they've had several games in this ballpark. They only had 10 turnovers in this game. And it seemed to me that every time they went to Gobert, it was a really good read, and he was really open, and he finished almost every one of them. Uh, He ended up 8 of 9 shooting, 18 points, 12 boards. He made two of his three free throws. 
You know, if Rudy shoots 67% at the line, I mean, you want more than that. You wish he'd be a 75%er. But at 67%, I think you start scaring off the whole hack a shack deal. You know, and that's probably, you can live with that from Rudy. You'll want more, but you can live with it. So I, I just thought, you know, multiple ways to look at this game. Uh, they won a game that Clarkson was okay, but he wasn't, it wasn't like he was hot. 13 points, but two of 10 from three. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll have much better games than that. But he had five assists. Yeah. You know, he moves the ball too. And if there's one thing that's changed since he's gotten there, it's that, uh, you know, some of the passes he throws, really good. And before, I think maybe, you know, hey, get me the ball and I'll get you a shot. Like you told Joe Ingles, Joe told us that story about one of their first conversations. Hey, if the clock's running down in five seconds, you get it to me, I'll get a shot. Uh, but he's way more than that now. And you can see that with the five assists. You can see that just watching the game. Just makes me feel so warm. All the winning, all the all the feel good. There's nothing negative to say. They played one bad game in a month. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, wasn't this team five and four? Oh, uh, they were now four and five. I, I think they were four and four. They were four and four. Okay, but weren't they five and four? <laughs> okay, they were. But <laughs> to your point, they were four and four. <laughs> but yes, you're right. They were also six and four. PK, I don't know if you heard. <laughs> You know, at seven and four, I had a lot of questions. At seven and four, and eight and four, at nine and four, I started to get on board. There was no need to top me. That was so, funny. It was funny. And here they are, where they are, which is just super impressive. Best record in the NBA. Winners of 80% of their games. In an 82-game season, that'd be a 66-win team. They've tied the franchise best start ever. They were 20-5 and the first time they went to the NBA Finals in the 96-97 season. So yes, there are many superlatives to hurl out there. And then uh, it's what uh, Tim Lacombe said when he came on. You know, do the words match the actions? And I can remember... The famous uh, Dr. Jack Ramsey, who won an NBA title as a coach at Portland and then was a, uh, was a longtime coach and a longtime broadcaster for ESPN. And when the Jazz were the height of the powers, he said, you know, Ostertag says the right things. I think, you know, he's, he's really in the right place. But the words and the actions don't always match. You know, massive understatement. Funny. And for whatever reason, that thing always stayed with me. And Tim brought that up this morning. He says, I, I listen to what Quinn Snyder says in his pregame availability and his postgame. And I listen to what the players say in their postgame. And he says the words are really matching what I'm seeing on the court. And so when guys seem to have the, their head in the right place and they got a lot of talent and all this comes together, I guess, I guess that's how you win 16 out of 17 and how you end up with the NBA's best record. Voila. Wa-freaking-la. And then that brings up the question— that brings up the question, okay, yeah. so they have, they have okay. beat all these teams that you can rank them, you know, power, power rankings, and they're 8th, or they're 13th, or they're 16th, or they're 10th, or whatever. But against uh-huh. teams 2, 3, 4, how are they going to do? And we're going to see Philly, and we're going to see the Lakers and Clippers here coming up in that stretch. And actually tonight, both the Lakers and Clippers are playing. Uh, the ESPN has a doubleheader, but they don't have either one of these games. The Clippers are in Minnesota, and you would think that they would – thrash the timber without paul george he's missing the next two games toe. toe yeah he's got a toe thing, a swollen toe that is probably not ideal uh but still the clippers ought to beat the timberwolves even without paul george i would think they are 10 and a half point favorites and then the lakers have the thunder at home and they are 11 and a half point favorites 
over the Thunder. And it's one of those things that we wondered if it was going to last, you know, where you play a team twice in three days because the Lakers just beat the Thunder in overtime, 119-112. So the Thunder camped out in L.A. getting ready to play them again. Uh-huh. Dennis Lindsay was talking about this after the bubble. One thing that a lot of the players, a lot of feedback they got from the players was, and not flying, I feel totally different. You know, you can play a lot of games, and you play a lot of intense games, and you play big minutes. If you just take the airplane trips out of the mix, it really does change stuff. And you were bringing this up because you brought this, you've brought this up multiple times, but you just brought it up in the last week, that in your days as a beat writer, and, you know, getting on a plane in Albuquerque, you know, going to Albuquerque, covering a game, and getting on a plane, going up to Colorado Springs, covering a game, or whatever the, the trips were, you know, it'd wear you out. And when you went to San Diego, but they didn't want to fly you to Hawaii for basketball because the time difference and all that and the deadlines with the paper, how awesome it was to sit in San Diego and cover two games. Well, all you really did, well, okay, you were in San Diego, so there's that. But you eliminated one plane flight. And what a difference that made, you know? How much better do you feel? Plus, then you're in, you know, you got downtime in some awesome city, so... Go ride a bike oh, yeah, on the I beach. Forward to that. Yeah, that was like winter break for me every year. Yeah, but it was also it was taking one plane trip out. You know, it's the riding equivalent. I mean, you're not running up and down the court, but you could still feel it. You know, take one plane trip out. Yeah, I think it's smart. Anything you can do to maximize the product that you could put out on the floor is best for the players and it's best for the consumers. Well, yeah, because we all want to see better quality of ball, right? We all want to see better shooting. Nobody wants to watch a bunch of three-pointers that are short and flat because guys are gassed flying around the country. You know, let's let's watch them knock those down. All right, we spent most of the time talking about the Jazz. That has been the big topic of the day. We did just have Aaron Roderick on, BYU offensive coordinator. Uh, Takeaway from that, the quarterback battle, is that your takeaway? Because that is your favorite part about spring ball. Wide the freak open. And let's see what these guys can do. And I'm very, very intrigued on that to see who that guy's going to be. And Conover's got all sorts of pub recruited by tons of folks from Chandler High. It's literally a national power. I couldn't even list all the guys who played in the NFL out of Chandler High School. I'd have to get a uh, literally get a roster. And so he's really good. And then you've got a couple of the guys that we've seen, and they love Jaron Hall's capability. Romney's solid. Romney doesn't look like he's going to hurt you. You know, he looks like at minimum he can help you win. Maybe he can be the deciding factor in winning if he has an opportunity. I'm not sure. So absolutely intrigued about what BYU does at quarterback. It's BYU quarterback. We're always intrigued. Absolutely, and it seems uh, like there are a lot of guys who their storyline could end up with them in the starting job. So, what do you think? Three-way battle at minimum? See if someone else throws himself into the mix? Uh, certainly at the start. You know, they got, they got a little bit of time on their side, but they've got to use spring ball as an evaluation to at least pare it down. Kyle Whittingham talks about this all the time. You can start out with three. Normally you don't have four, but you can start out with three and then uh, 10 days into it, you got to start making some decisions. And so I suspect that they'll do that. And then, of course, they've also got the training camp that will begin in August that they can use. But I don't think that they'll make a decision by the end of spring and say player X is our definite number one. I think they'll let it linger. And plus, it dangle the carrot out there as far as summer workouts in front of those guys. All right, DJ and PK, we'll take a break. When we come back... Your feedback. 
next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. David Locke, the play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. If we have the best record in the NBA, and we have one player who is statistically more impactful than any other player on our roster, why isn't he talked about as an MVP? We go to the MVP ladder. Number one is LeBron. Fair. Number two is Joel Embiid. Number three is Nikola Jokic. Number four is Kevin Durant. I guess. He's been great. Number five is Kawhi Leonard. Okay, but this is where the bullcrap starts. Six is Giannis, seven is Paul George, eight is Luca, nine is Steph, ten is Dame, eleven is Jason Tatum, other five more, Bradley Beal, Donovan Mitchell, Demata Sabonis, Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brunson. Watch the beeping game. We're going to have the best record in the NBA. We're just not going to mention Rudy. He's just not going to make the list. Like, seriously. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you by Minky Couture. The best blanket ever is also the best Valentine's gift. Get 30% off right now on any regularly priced blanket with code word WELCOME30 at MinkyCouture.com. Take care of that Valentine's gift today by visiting a location near you in Ogden, Layton, Draper, Orem, Sugar House, or St. George. That's Minky Couture and Valentine's Day. Check them out at MinkyCouture.com. All right, feedback today. Another Jazz game, another win. 20-5 and five start ties the best mark in franchise history. What more can you say? Cam says, mm, four or five seed, which Josh replies, you're a funny guy, four or five seed. Maybe watch a game or two. PK, neither one of us are big gamblers, but that would be tempting. If someone offered you the Jazz as a four or five seed, uh, bet the no and bet the ranch. They're not going to be the four or five seed. Look at how this thing's trending. Look at the cushion they've built up over that. The question is, are they going to be a one, two, or three seed, and who are they going to who are they going to match up with in the first couple rounds? Yeah. Plus, I don't know that the teams that are fighting for that four and five seed have the consistency to go ahead and grab it. I think that particular seed might be something that is a battle all season. And those, there's some good teams there, but I wouldn't qualify them as great teams, and consistency is the hallmark of greatness. And I'm not sure they have that. They have their moments where they can be very, very good and be very dangerous, and I don't scoff at them or overlook them by any stretch. So even if the Jazz slipped a little, I would suspect that those teams fighting for that seed would also be by their nature not being able to solidify the fourth seed. I could be wrong on that. You're not. But that's the way I've seen it now. <laughs> You're not wrong. There's two. It reminds me, actually, a lot of how it looked last year. It's different teams on those slots, but as far as how these teams are spaced in the standings, it's very similar. There's two games from fourth to eighth place. Suns, Blazers, Spurs, Nuggets, and Warriors all jumbled up. And there's only uh, four games from fourth place to 14th place. The Mavericks, uh, I'm still surprised they're that low. And if they went on a win streak here, I haven't looked at their schedule to see if you know they avoid some of the top teams in the league who maybe overmatch them. Why couldn't they get it together and go on a win streak and vault themselves into the middle of that? So, yeah, it's a, it's a jumbled mess there. Uh, but the Jazz are now five games clear of the Suns. So, you know, there, there's a bigger gap between one and four than there is between four and 14. Well, the Mavericks now have karma against them since they won't play the national anthem. Mark Cuban confirming that the anthem, which uh, there was no announcement, it's just over several home games, people are like, wait a minute, was there an anthem? I walked in late. I didn't even notice. Was there? And there aren't that many They've people in the first place. games there, and none of them yeah. had the national anthem. So somebody noticed the pattern, and then he confirmed it to ESPN and then declined to make further comment. So... 
Oh, I got comments. I'll be making further comments. <laughs> it's it's Texas. I bet they're getting a lot of comments. I suspect our favorite columnist for the Watchdog. He loves that type of stuff. Ah, he's in Houston. That won't stop him from writing about Dallas. I bet Houston's got plenty to say about Dallas, just the way LA and San Francisco have plenty to say about each other. No, I mean our columnist who works for the Watchdog now. Oh, oh, oh! I thought you were talking uh, Brian T. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, could well be. Yeah. I mean, this will be a national story. talking about Vito Corleone, the godfather. No, 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 The Jazz fans saying Jordan Clarkson. Larry says Jordan Clarkson should be the sixth man of the year. I would think he's got a very good shot at getting that, don't you? Who else are you going to put in the competition with him? Anybody? Well, Anybody? now that they lo- they move Ball in the starting lineup in Charlotte, I mm-hmm. mean, I thought that that would have been a, co- a competitor because of the fact that he was coming off the bench. But I think he's now starting, so that's and it's going to be enough games that he starts that that's going to eliminate his sixth man. But you know, I just don't get into that stuff. Hmm. I mean, winning is where it's at, man. What What are you doing as far as winning? All that other stuff. If the Jazz win the title and <laughs> we'll Lou Williams or else. somebody else, I mean, yeah. What difference? Wouldn't does you that trade make? all of that, anything else, to get that? <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, when you get the title, then you tend to get some of the other stuff. I mean, winning gets rewarded with these other awards. Um, Josh tweets at us, uh, what else is there to say? Well, I'm not yet satisfied. Ask me again when they're 31-5. and 11-1 in the next 12, I'd probably bet against that. Of course, I also would have bet against 16 out of 17. And well, why would lost. you be satisfied then? <laughs> he'll, he'll double down on 41-6, and six, right? Jeff yeah. says, sarcasm. We can continue to nitpick about why they aren't winning every game by 20. Hashtag sarcasm. Jeff just wants to enjoy the good times. And yeah, enjoy them. You should be enjoying them now, that's for sure. You know, I think the best individual award in the NBA is Finals MVP. Ah, because if you have the Finals MVP, then there's about a 99.9% chance that you won it. And I think that's maybe there's an outlier because I think somewhere, but I think that's why these guys are playing. I mean, they're playing to get money. We understand that, but uh, after that, and they all got their money. It's about winning, and that's what they're that's what they're about. That's what matters. And that's what you want them to be about. You don't worry about these individual things. Be finals MVP because then you're holding the trophy, and that's what counts the most. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Scotty and Hands are next. We'll see you tomorrow right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.